it isn't that I haven't tried, you know, throughout my life to fit into whatever I perceived that perfect picture might be. I certainly have, but it doesn't work. And on the other hand, the places that do fit, fit really big. Welcome to the Open Exploration Podcast. I'm on a mission to connect with rule breakers, dream makers, and all around inspiring people to explore the possibilities for living a vibrant and honest life on my own terms. Hi everyone. There's a poem that I used to read with my students and I kept thinking about it as I was editing this episode. The poem is called Famous by Naomi Shihab Nye and it starts like this. The river is famous to the fish. The loud voice is famous to silence, which knew it would inherit the earth before anybody said so. The cat sleeping on the fence is famous to the birds watching him from the birdhouse. The tear is famous briefly to the cheek. I bring up this poem because my guest today is not famous in any traditional sense, but is certainly famous to me. She's famous for being a gentle voice of wisdom when I need it most, for bringing brightness and love to the world in quiet ways, like carrying gift bags with snacks and supplies for unhoused people that she might meet on any given day, or leaving snacks and a note of gratitude for delivery drivers outside the front door. She is my aunt, Wendy Berger, and it was delightful to record a conversation with her. In this conversation, Wendy and I talk about her deep pain that she experienced in her adolescence, her time spent in a cult in her 20s, and how she got out and began to make sense of that season of her life. How she started to recognize her profound intuition and build a career as a therapist around that gift. We also talk about her sweet and deeply spiritual friendship with my mom, and the lessons that both of us gleaned from her life. And I take the opportunity to dig into some of the big questions and ideas that have been on my mind and seek her guidance. One important element of Wendy's life, which comes up a couple of times in our conversation, but we never really talk about or explain in depth, is that her daughter, my cousin Sonia, has battled intense and debilitating chronic illness since she was in college. This is a conversation that certainly doesn't shy away from the hard stuff, and maybe more so than usual, centers on our spiritual relationship to our lives and what happens to us. I'm really grateful to my Aunt Wendy, obviously for all that she brings to my life, but also for her depth and presence in this conversation and her willingness to share her story and insights. A quick note before we begin, I really love making this podcast and I'm already working hard on some upcoming surprises for season two. So in order to make this work a big part of my life long term, I'm actively seeking partnerships with companies and organizations that reflect the values of this community. Values like environmental stewardship, inclusion, celebration, and allyship with people of all races, genders, sexual orientation, and abilities, and the creation of products and services that genuinely improve our lives and our world. If you know of a company or organization that you think fits the bill, or if you are interested in partnering with me, please email me at lily at openexploration.org. That's L-I-L-Y, just like the flower, at openexploration.org. You can also connect with me on social media at Open Exploration Podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with the wonderful Wendy Berger. All right, you comfortable? I'm totally comfortable. Yeah. Good. All right. Aunt Wendy, thank you so much for agreeing to come and chat with me. It's been a while since we've gotten to sit down and talk, and we've never sat down and talked with microphones and (laughs) computer and all this junk around us. (laughs) It's my pleasure to get to be with you. It always is a pleasure. 
I was thinking about in a career search, you know, I might want to talk with people of all different careers. I think that this, for me, though, is much more of a spiritual search of what is right for me and what is the next right thing for me. And so I was thinking about how just because of the person you are and the role you've always played in my life that every time I sit down and talk to you, I feel like I have a little bit more clarity about myself and what's Mm. healthy for me and what's healthy in my life. I think you also have a remarkable story that I've never really gotten to sit down and hear the the whole story um, or even maybe the most important parts of your story. Mm. And so I'm very intrigued by that. And I think that you tend to understand me (laughs) sometimes better than I understand myself and have some wisdom about what matters in life. So no pressure. Those are the reasons I wanted to sit down and talk with you. (laughs) That's really sweet. I'm touched. Well, maybe I want to start, I was thinking about, so in my 20s, I'm 29 now, so kind of the span of my 20s, I think back to my early 20s, and I felt very lost and very stressed about being lost and kind of this impending failure at every step if I didn't figure it out. And now, at the end of my 20s, I sort of feel lost still, but in a way that is very exciting and kind of like there is a whole exploration and so many opportunities out there. And I have my bearing enough to trust that failure isn't waiting for me, that there's more opportunity waiting for me. And I was wondering if you think back to your 20s, (laughs) if you feel like you fit somewhere on that trajectory of lost to exploration of finding yourself or if your experience was totally different? Wow, what an interesting question. <laughs> so, um, hmm. So I think I need to rewind before my 20s to get to my 20s because I feel like that stage was kind of set in my teens. Yeah. So my teenage years were, were fraught. I would just say they were fraught. They were really challenging. And during that time, I even attempted suicide um, when I was 16 and woke up afterwards in the intensive care unit. Uh, The nurse came in to bring me a letter that your dad had written me. I don't know if you know this story Mm -hmm. or not. And it was all about his perception of life being a great adventure and that he was really sad. I wish I still had the letter. But he was sad and he was shocked to hear that I had tried to to leave and just wanted to extend his hand and his heart. So when I got out of that situation, A, I had to get counseling. And since finances were were an issue for my parents, I was sent to a place where I could get counseling and it was arranged so that I could pay for it with my waitressing Hmm. wages, which was incredibly empowering to be able to get as much counseling as I wanted as much diversity in that system, and I was responsible for it. So that's kind of the, the pre-stage. And then I really started praying and asking for help. I just was, um, I remember I used to walk my dog, Duke, and I would sing my prayers, and I would call out my prayers on the wind, and I just kept asking for guidance. And um, 
at that time, I felt like I would I needed a teacher, which was, you know, there was hippie days and days of all these different spiritual movements, and I just felt like I need a teacher. So that kind of led me um, in my freshman year of college to join a group up in Boulder, and I ultimately quit school and moved into their ashram, hmm. where I lived for almost six years. And during that time, I got up every morning at 3 o'clock and practiced yoga and meditation until dawn and then spent the day working for the community and changed my name and went all over the world and all over the country studying with them. So looking back on that now, I could say that was a cult. Mm-hmm. And there were many negative aspects to that, but I can also see that it was really important for my growth. So the, the exit out of that, I was working at the Harvest in Denver and living in the ashram in Denver. And I read an article in a magazine in Psychology Today about people who made rapid exits into cults, mm-hmm. joined cults, and then got out. Just as almost, it seemed like a, um, a dime they turned on. And um, they said that there was something that they needed, that the study showed that there was something that those people needed that they could only get by getting completely out of their family and their original life, getting into this alternate universe. And then once they had that, they re-entered. Wow. And I read that article and I was like, that's me. That's, mm-hmm. that's my story. So I called up my mom. I said, hey, mom, can you pick me up at work tonight? And she was like, what? Had you been in contact with her the whole time that you're living at the ashram? Sometimes, sometimes not. I changed my name. Mostly I was not in mm-hmm. contact with them. Mostly I stayed pretty much off off the grid, you know. And a lot of that was by design of the person that I was studying with. Mm. Um, there was a lot of control in that situation. But anyway, I asked her to drive me to the ashram. She drove me to the ashram. I asked her to play, to wait in the, in the street. And I went in and I got all my stuff and brought it out to her car. And she was like, what's going on? I said, I need to leave. And she took me away. So that was my um, pre-20s. Oh, or, well, it lasted wow. until I was 25. Mm-hmm. But that whole stage, I would say, started in early adolescence. And if I was going to pull the thread... I feel like the thread for my life has been about spiritual awareness, spiritual understanding, asking for help, and listening and finding that help. So when I got back, I had very difficult time even figuring out who I was, like what I wanted, like what I liked, what I didn't like, how I could create a spiritual practice without that ashram mentality. And over the years, that has meant a lot of really deep asking and calling and praying and asking for guidance. And then having to be aware and watch for the, the signs and the information and the next step. So I felt like my becoming a therapist happened because of my experience as, an, as a teenager and saying, that's what I want to do. And then the other aspects of my growth have come from other awareness and asking for help again. So I remember I was in 
a car accident with Aliza and Claire. Uh-huh. My sister off. and I were talking about this the other yeah, day. <laughs> yeah. So I got hit head on by a drunk driver, which is its own little like <laughs> storm. But in the middle of that, I started hearing things. So as I was recovering, I would say to Alan, did you hear that? He'd say, what are you talking about? And I'd say, there's like a radio. Do you, do you, hear, do you hear that? And he'd say, no, I have no idea. And I couldn't quite get it into focus. I couldn't quite hear it, but I could hear a lot. Hmm. And that continued and got stronger and stronger until I would be like standing in a grocery store talking to the clerk, and I would suddenly hear her whole thing. Like I can remember a moment standing there, talking to the grocery clerk who's checking me out, realizing that she was going through a divorce, she had three kids, she didn't have her money. I mean, like, her whole story Whoa. just came up for me. And I felt like I would I would feel those feelings, you know, like I'd, I'd walk away from her going, oh, oh, my gosh, what do I do with this? Why am I feeling this? Why am I Yeah, this? I can't fix her marriage. I can't change her life. What, what's the why, purpose why of holding this? all this? Yeah, why am I learning this? So... Again, I remember driving back from Fort Collins. I'd gone to see my friend Lisa, and I was on the highway. And I just started asking. I said, look, if this is what I'm supposed to do, if there's a reason for this, I need help. I can't do this. I don't know what this is. And if I can't get help, I don't want to hear these things. I don't want to know these things. I want you to turn it off. And I literally, and it sounds really weird, and in reflection but this is what actually happened was I was I was directed to websites like I went mm-hmm. home I got on the computer and it was like ah oh, you need to look this up you need to look this up you need to look up psychic development you look, need to look up this and I did and I found told a woman in Boulder she said oh yeah come on up I'll do your introductory course and <laughs> started studying that and so between those two it's kind of woven in to my path Wow. I I think it's important for me to admit, I think my whole life I have, I guess, wanted to be cynical or skeptical, kind of. I think cynical maybe is the right word, Um, but skeptical and and sort of think things through for myself and having you as an aunt with your intuition and having my mom as a mom with her intuition and – just so much else that I've seen in my life and been exposed to. I think the part of me that wants to be cool and skeptical has gotten sort of washed away of mm-hmm. there is no way there's not more going on than what we see. And it's intriguing to me that so many of us can go through our whole lives ignoring that incredibly massive and important spiritual element of who we are. And some of us like you you know, it it interrupts our life quite literally mm-hmm. and that there's no way to ignore it or or to turn away from it, really. Do you feel like you have gotten clarity over the years of of why you would soak in so much of what is going on in somebody else's life or has that shifted or turned down for you? I feel like for the most part, not always, but for the most part I've learned to um, be aware turn it on, turn it off, and be more clear about boundaries in that way, that I don't have to be open to that extent in the world. It's mm-hmm. important for me not to be. And I feel like I'm at another juncture where 
or something's shifting and I can't quite tell. I actually just started in this last week and it might have been inspired because of our getting together. Um, I've been asking, okay, so what's the next step? What's the next? How is this to move forward? I'm not sure. Hmm. It's a great place to be. I love being in that place. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think the other part of that is that is that we can get stuck on it has to be a certain way. Mm. So for me, I hear things and I feel them in my body and I hear them. But for somebody else, might just have a gut sense about it. Mm-hmm. And somebody else might just, oh, I saw this book. And those are all intuition. Mm. So it's not necessarily picking up on a really clear voice that somebody else can't hear. It might be just a sense about what the they right next thing is. They might be walking in the forest and realizing you need to go to the right. And I think we look for um, same, same. We want to all figure out the way and it's not that way yeah it is so interesting though I think even knowing that the way doesn't exist it is helpful to hear other people's path and to I mean that's the whole purpose of this I guess is to see so many different possibilities and opportunities Mm -hmm. so that I can sort of open up new ideas in my brain and new potential pathways forward based on what the people around me have created in their own lives, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. I I think I look at your life and your career, and it seems like it is so in line. You know, you didn't say, okay, I have this intuitive sense. I also am going to make money in a different way or have this other career that they really came together. Mm-hmm. That's another element of, like – I don't think that there is one right way to do it. I think it is very valid to have a totally separate career from your intuitive calling or or what feels most important to you. But there's a certain allure to me of really melding those two mm-hmm. and bringing them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about what your therapy practice is now? It, it seems like it sort of has developed and shifted over the years also yeah so my therapy practice actually depends a lot it depends on what the person coming in to see me really wants Mm -hmm. so I have people that I work with I have a young man who I've worked with for many many years who I worked with as he worked as he went to rabbinical school and became and got married and had a young family and now has a job and he has been really interested in bringing spiritual understanding into his learning, into practical ways of, of doing meditation and creating a, a meditative practice that brings his learning alive and helps him in his, in his work. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what I do is I sit with people and based on my intuition and what's coming up for them, we design meditations together essentially. I, I help them find a meditation practice that works so that they have a place to go into for their own wisdom. And then a lot of my practice relies on neuroemotional work, which allows me to use somebody else's body like a biofeedback system and get their body to share the wisdom of what's going on because whatever's happened in our lives is stored in the body, in the tissues. And when we can use the body to test, use muscle testing to find out what's going on, 
body will identify exactly when it happened and how it happened. And then through acupuncture meridians, I don't know if any of this makes sense, we can put pressure there and clear those emotions. That being said, I feel like more and more what I'm really wanting to do is to get out of the way and be present with people and see what it is that they need. Because my idea of what you or anybody else needs or what you should be doing or should be thinking is really not relevant. So what I want to get better and better at is asking the questions. I was going to say that's one of the things I've appreciated about you for a long time is that I guess I can come to you sort of seeking advice or seeking wisdom and never once have you given me advice or an answer because I don't think that would have sat right with me anyways. Instead, it does seem like you asked the right questions for me to say like, oh yeah, that is what I've known all along and I had a hard time getting there. I think that there is a lot of power in that. You know, nobody else can answer something for you and... I don't know how much this is true for everyone, but I think it's a story that I choose to believe because it's very helpful for me, but that we all do know the answer, that we sort of have that intuitive sense. And so if we can quiet out the noise and mm-hmm. and take time for that to sort of float to the surface, that we will get to the right answer for us. Absolutely. And I feel like that when I've had spiritual experiences, it's been an aha Hmm. Oh, yeah. That so makes sense. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I knew that. But now I really know that. It's like reading a poem that just, you know, it's... Yeah, it just feels right. Feels like a spark. Yeah. It's so hard to do that sometimes, though, I think, because there's the noise of, well, I said I would do this, or, well you know, this is what I signed up for. It's okay that it doesn't feel good to me. I already made the commitment or what will other people think. And Mm -hmm. this sort of new process for me is an attempt to say, I don't need to care about that element. Mm -hmm. You know, I, of course, don't want to let other people down, but living the best life for me is not going to let down the people that matter. Mm -hmm. And... I don't really need to care about what my life looks like or what other people think of it so much. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, and I think that the first key is always to step back inside and even just take a moment to breathe. And then once we take that first breath and we follow it again with another breath and another breath, we're stepping back inside and then we get the information that we need. And there's no way from the outside that anybody else can give you that. Yeah. And I think you're really wise in knowing that that nobody else can tell you what to do. Right. Because there's an instant, mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> that doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was one of the things that I really appreciated about your mom was that she just had a sense of knowing, like she could, she intuited something and she knew it and then she could put it into action she just she just would know yeah I sometimes think that maybe my process is much slower (laughs) than hers in that way that not that that's a, a judgment or a bad thing necessarily but it did seem like she had a plan for her life and it felt right and it was right and then she followed it and for whatever reason it has felt like my path instead of the like oh, I know, here I go, is to 
think I know, nope, that wasn't right. Think I know, no, that wasn't right. And sort of the challenge to still trust that I'm still on the right trajectory, I guess, or that it, you know, that those are all part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you also have a whole different life myth. Hmm. You know, if I look at your mom's life myth, she was raised with a hope chest and she had her dishes and she had her things in that chest before she was even married. Hmm. Like things were on a certain track. Right. And then what she brought to mothering was was a whole landscape and willingness to allow you to explore and and experiment and and be delighted with life, pulling your leg over your head, playing your <laughs> violin, and just that spark of light that she could appreciate because it didn't need to be channeled a specific way. Yeah. So, so your life myth is completely, it's different. Yeah, I love that phrase, life myth. I yeah. think it's sort of what I was saying before of, you know, you choose these stories that, or they're chosen for you, like in that mm-hmm. circumstance, but you choose these stories that, either are really helpful and healthy for you or there are stories that are not helpful and not healthy for you mm-hmm. but to sort of recognize that there's maybe not any specific truth about your life that you need to follow more so the no, stories it's that your, have truth to it's them your, it's your truth, it's your story mm-hmm. yeah I am um, so this story has come up over and over as with, <laughs> since the time that you first suggested getting together. And I think it's part of my, my myth, my story, and, it, and it's what makes sense to me. So when I was really little, my parents had a really contentious marriage. Mm-hmm. And they would have an argument, and I would go back into my room and sit in my bed, which is a, I had a room at the end of the hall, the main floor, next to their, their bedroom was next to mine. But they had these very intense arguments, and I would go running back into my bedroom. And my grandfather would come sit with me. He was no longer in his body. And Grandpa would come sit with me on the bed. And he would say, it's okay. You're going to be fine. It's, go- it's all going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And he would stay with me while my parents fought. And then when the argument was over, usually my father would leave the house. And I'd go back out and I'd say, Mom, Grandpa says it's going to be okay. And it was her dad me. who would come sit with you? Mm-hmm. I'd never met him. Mm-hmm. And she, <laughs> she'd be like, Okay, stop. <laughs> you know, it's like too much. But I'd never met him. She had a picture of him in her bedroom. And that experience and his presence was, I felt like I knew him. I felt like he was my loving, caring grandpa. So that, what would I say, that quarreling and then my grandfather's presence and then my life story and difficulties and kind of weaving in and out of that spiritual awareness and calling in help from the other side and calling in help from from God is really and that's my myth that's the color of my of my weaving and yours is more you know when I look at your upbringing and your childhood was is like a wildfire <laughs> wildflower field you know and you dancing in it and bringing things together and figuring out what works and what doesn't work, not from a place of hard edges, but from playful, joyful spirit. And that is what's true. And so when you are centered in that experience, you're living what my Rebbe used to call your deployment. That's how you've been deployed. (laughs) That's your myth. That's your story. And everybody's is different, but that's yours. And that's why it isn't what it looks like from the outside or what somebody says 
it's that field of flowers and your your presence there and you're experimenting and you're feeling and you're knowing in in a felt body sense wow. i really love that image of a wildflower field mm-hmm. <laughs> and and also recognizing that there's a lot that i've known about myself my whole life i think this is probably true for a lot of people and sort of tried to fight against it you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, know. if I could just work a little harder and be less sensitive, that would be very helpful. So I will just do that and I will pick a job that is really crushing for my sensitivity and yeah. I'm going to make it, you yes. know. <laughs> and I was thinking about kind of the story of your life as you've told it so far mm-hmm. and this, maybe it's sensitivity for you too, sort of this awareness and felt sense of what's happening in the world around you. And how you've been able not to fight against that, but to shift from a place where what was happening in the world around you and inside you was so much that it was unbearable to a place where that is a vibrant and meaningful part of your life. I mean, your life has not been easy since Mm -hmm. then. It's not that that's what has shifted. So what do you think it is that has shifted? So when you were asking the question, the image that I had was like wearing a, a tight suit. Like, and there have definitely been times when I've put myself in a tight suit with a little tie and, you know, just so <laughs> and, and tight and sitting prim and proper. And I had a teacher at one point who used to say, lose yourself, gain yourself. Lose yourself, gain yourself. <laughs> and it isn't that I haven't tried you know, throughout my life to fit into whatever I perceived that perfect picture might be. Mm -hmm. I certainly have, but it doesn't work. It only works for a a limited time because I don't work in that. Mm -hmm. So for me, chemistry, freshman year chemistry, I still remember that experience which was not pleasant that's not the way my mind goes (laughs) on the other hand freshman year chemistry was a big turning point for me too oh my god (laughs) i think this was a fit and it is not (laughs) (laughs) can i get a tutor is there somebody who could nurse me through this yeah no not at all and on the other hand the places that do fit fit really big and i'm sure it's true for other people that have the opposite Mm -hmm. you know it can't can't possibly relate to what I'm talking about and yet feel really clear with clear guidelines and yes and no and black and white and yeah well I think about too it does seem looking at the world around us that so many people are trying to button themselves up into a suit that doesn't fit and I think that there are lots of options to deal with that and many 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 of them are destructive and not healthy But the general narrative, at least as far as I've heard it, is you stick with it anyways. You just, you know, Mm -hmm. this is the way it's done. Of course you're overworked. Of course you're overtired. Everybody is. And I think you and now I have chosen a different option, which is to say I'm not going to deal with this in ways that are unhealthy. I'm not going to sacrifice myself for this suit that doesn't fit me. I have to find a way that feels like me and that feels like my best self in the world yeah yeah because your martyrdom my martyrdom doesn't serve anyone doesn't serve anybody it's kind of like yeah it's a bad look anyways yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah 
I remember many years ago when the, the girls were younger and um, I don't even remember what we were doing, but all day long I'd had to go to the bathroom. Like, okay, okay, afterwards do this. And, <laughs> and finally I just looked at her and I said, I have to go to the bathroom. And Elisa looked at me and she said, Mom, have you been martyring yourself? Like, we didn't even know. It didn't help us at all for you not to go to the Should bathroom. Have gone to the bathroom five hours ago. <laughs> and you need to go to the bathroom. Like, uh, oh yeah, and that's what's really true. Totally, our martyrdom doesn't. Nobody else says, "Oh, I'm so glad you made that sacrifice." Yeah. I feel Your much better. Your pain served me. Yeah, I feel so much better. It reminds me of a student I had who was. Uh, he pushed my buttons, but I really loved him. But he said one time. Well, he was just having such a hard time in class and making me have such a hard time, making everybody around him have such a hard time because that was the way he expressed his hard time was to sort of derail the whole class. And so I, you know, I talked to him for a little while and I said, you know, I spent my whole weekend coming up with a lesson that I thought you'd really like. Did you notice that I put like this soccer player in here and this, and you were talking about this last week. And he said, well, miss, you should have done something else with your weekend. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're so right. You're so right. You didn't ask me to do that. You didn't ask me to stay up late and come in cranky. That's great. So it was very wise. Yeah, frustrating, but very wise. So now you have that internal voice Mm -hmm. from him. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Am I using my time in a way that is actually helpful to the people around me and you know, sustainable and healthy for me, yeah. or am I not? One of the things that comes up for me is how difficult it can be when you can't explain it. Mm-hmm. And you can't say, oh, this is what I'm doing. Right. You can't give it an elevator speech. There's not a clear business card logo. And I think sometimes that's really hard. And it's certainly been hard for me because sometimes you can – I could, I could feel like I could justify what I was doing. Oh, I have this many clients. And, you know, there's a justification. And other times it's like, I don't really know. I'm taking this class and I've been doing this morning meditation. And I don't really know, but that's where my heart's calling me. Yeah, it's tough when you can't explain it. And I think it's also tough when there's not a societal category or mm-hmm. term for that. And one that's respected. I completely understand why people stay on a trajectory that's not healthy for them or that doesn't serve them because it is very easy to tell people, I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher, I'm a, and, you know, we have this societal category for what that means and how you're contributing to the world and how you're doing what you're meant to do. But when you say, I don't know, I'm quitting my job and I don't know what it is next, or, you know, I'm making money in whatever way I can make money while I figure out what my gifts are to give Mm -hmm. that's a much more challenging conversation and again not that other people's perception is what matters but as communal creatures Mm -hmm. who want to be understood Mm -hmm. and loved and appreciated and celebrated for what we're doing it is really challenging when the answer is I don't know I'm in a place of exploration and mm-hmm. figuring it out mm-hmm. and feeling a little stuck. Yeah, I'm just doing the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, whatever we do, we're just making it up. We're mm-hmm. just making up a job title, a this. This is how <laughs> I, we're making up the story. I think that's one of the gifts from 
COVID is we realized so many of the things that we thought were absolute, matter of fact, the way they are may not be true. Yeah. You know, a whole lot of, oh, wow. And we get to see that a lot of what we have done and how we functioned has been made up. Sure right? has. Yeah. 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 There's all these sort of new ideas that I'm just playing around with. Like, what if I don't have to work 60 hours a week in order to do something that's sort of meaningful and important in the world? That's one mm-hmm. example. What if it actually isn't helpful to give up sleep for the things that I love? Yeah. <laughs> what if there's another option? And I, it's been very cool to see that I'm sure at any time if I'd sort of like entered the communities where people are thinking about that and talking about it, I would have felt in community in that way. But it has been very cool to see that it does not feel like it is just me. Like you're saying, I think that mm-hmm. many, many of us saw that of like this whole thing can flip on its head. Mm-hmm. So how can we flip it in a way that is mm-hmm. actually beneficial to us? Wow, I love those what if questions. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What if? Yeah, and what can I, like I was saying before, what can I just say no thanks and this it, this doesn't work mm-hmm. for me, and it mm-hmm. wasn't built to serve human beings. And what if I get to the end of my days and turn around and say, oh, it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's true. It doesn't have to make sense now. Like you always say, the next right step, and you just keep going mm-hmm. on your way. I know. That was certainly my dad's experience at the end of his days was to turn around and say, wow, I've had more than my share of good luck. I've had more than my share of blessings and there were so many years of struggle of trying to find the, the what he was and, and what was the business card and the success and all that. And then to be able to turn around at the end of his days and say, wow, I was incredibly successful. I had everything I ever wanted. I had everything I needed. Mm. I have so many things to be grateful for. Wow, what a comforting thought at the end of your life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually something that I wanted to ask you about. I think for a lot of reasons you were one of the few people that I think was able to really have a deep friendship with my mom up until the very end I look at the end of her life and her reflection on what had mattered and what hadn't and I really interpret that as image didn't matter like I thought it did achievement didn't matter like I thought it did what did really matter was relationships and connection and this ability to kind of zoom out and see life as a spiritual experience and as a classroom (laughs) where we get to become better versions of ourselves. And I wonder if that lines up with your perception of her kind of of end-of-life reflection and kind of the lessons that we can take from her her life and how she looked at it? Mm. Wow, that's a really big question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that was really important um, in her final years for me was not so much, you know, you talk about me being able to understand her, but she also really understood me. And she really... I think one of the gifts of her illness, and maybe not, I actually, I could say it it was true all the way, is that she always was able to see the best in other people. Mm 
and she could really see what was going on. So if somebody seemed pressured to her, she would say, you know, of course, because of how he grew up, and it makes so much sense, and that's important to him, and I really understand that. And so in our time together, I understood her, but she also understood that one of the one of the special treasures that we had is that I would come up and be with her, and it was a retreat for me from what was going on at home with, you know, Sonia and all that. I would go and I would be with her, and we had this really sacred time together, just just sweet time away for me. And yeah, she could really value the spiritual realms, but even more than that, she had an awakening. She, in our young mothering days, we would have these conversations where she would talk about the Christian view of things or a Bible verse, and I would, and I would see that in my limited Jewish understanding <laughs> because really I did not study to the depths that she did, but we had this wonderful spiritual conversations. And something happened where she became, what, what would the word be, meta-spiritual. Hmm. She, she just saw things beyond the line so that things that previously bothered her where people would say, well, the Christian this and you have to that and there is, you can't say this if you don't. She'd be like, no, that's, that's so not true. And she believes that and it's important for her, but I don't see that anymore. So she really became meta-aware of, of spirituality and the connections, almost like light that just wove between all the traditions and what was true, was true with a capital T for all mm -hmm. spirituality, not based on whether or not you did the certain things that made it that way. So it was almost like she had, she had all those things. She couldn't have renounced those things without having had them. She had success. She had accolades. She was mm -hmm. the head nurse. She was the one who got the awards. She was a valedictorian. She had all that. And it's almost like the blossoms were the spiritual awareness that came. I don't know if that makes sense. It really does to me. It's something I've thought about a lot. Uh, and actually, it's come up in a lot of conversations with people who knew my mom. That sort of idea that all of the walls came crashing down and there no longer needed to be these rules and restrictions to keep everyone in line because that's not the mm -hmm. point of her spirituality it was more of this massive expansion and sort of an explosion of I guess it's hard to put into words because it's more <laughs> an image that I have but of this life force in her and even beyond that sort of a, a connection with all the other people who or all the other beings who are here to love each other and learn alongside each other and struggle yeah yeah something that you said brings up kind of a theme I've thought about a lot too though that the answer that I get from my mom not that there's any one answer from her but that it's not that she shouldn't have been a nurse and tried hard and it's not that she shouldn't have really seen kind of the edges of her potential I shouldn't even say edges but she shouldn't have explored her potential that all of that had mattered in a sense too it just wasn't what actually mattered most and so for those of us who are still here it can feel really tricky sometimes I know that what matters to me most are my relationships and the way that I'm here with other people. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm also not going to live my life, you know, just flitting around and being in relationship. I, I do need to strive for something and for goals and to see my potential. And I just want to say it may not be you that's deciding on your training and your path. I think we make up that we're doing this and we're deciding and we're becoming and we, we get the whatever it is and that's, that's us. And I want to say there's another whole reality which is, as my Rebbe said, I've been deployed and my job is just to keep opening up and saying, okay, yes, and being present and keeping my eyes open, my heart open. And in that way, the universe doesn't waste you. The universe doesn't say, well, if you don't get that degree, forget it. You're not going to be worthwhile. <laughs> it's not like that. I think all of these sort of ways of looking at our, our life and, and what makes, it's not even what makes the most sense to me, but what feels most powerful to me depends on an understanding that this is not all there is and again I think there's a part of me that wants to be skeptical or wants to really think for myself in that way Mm -hmm. and I think there's a much bigger part of me that has absolutely no doubt (laughs) because how could I having seen you know my mom's process and kind of feeling how she's present in my life still I guess I wonder what that looks like for you, not as a way of proving to anybody else that there, you know, there's more, but I wonder what, I guess maybe it's a life myth or an afterlife myth that you kind of follow or that, that guides you in decisions while you're here. So first I want to just acknowledge what you said about the, the part of your mind that questions or analyzes or tries to logically figure things out and then the other part of you that opens up and experiences this great vast joy and I want to say that's what's true about you that's your calling that exact weaving and we don't know how it's going to come together but it is and the universe is absolutely not letting you go in either direction full force. (laughs) It's exactly that weaving, which a part of our mind might think, well, that's a problem because, and I want to say, it's exactly your weaving. It's perfect. It's exactly the way that you have to stitch. And that stitch is yours. It's your unique, you know, like an embroidery and a machine that makes incredible embroidery. This is your stitch. (laughs) So you get to just work it and see how it evolves. And sometimes you don't know. You're making a tapestry, and you don't know what it gets, what it looks like, because you're just doing the weave. You're just examining those two stitches. So, can I share a story? Please. Okay. So many years ago, we were going to Mexico. We were going to be on a plane, coming home, and at that point, I used to have this elaborate thing that I had to do on planes because I thought I was scared. So I had this whole prayer process, this meditation process, and I'd pray for the pilot, and I, I went through this whole thing anytime we got on a plane. If it was really bad, I made Alan do this, ma- this mantra with me. <laughs> I mean, it was like this whole thing. And uh, anyway, he's booking this trip. He sees it's going to be a small plane coming home. I said, oh. He said, you know, I think you ought to really think about whether or not you can do it before I book the flight. So I said, okay. 
um, I called our neighbor who's a pilot. And I said, hey, Jim, you know, we're thinking about going to this place in Mexico. It's a little plane we come back. You know, what do you think? And he goes, oh, yeah, those are plum jobs. Those are for the really seasoned pilots. That's like pre-retirement. You go, and it's just great. Everybody that's been doing it forever, <laughs> you'll be fine. I said, would you put Rebecca on that plane? And he said, oh, yeah, I no, wouldn't think a thing of it. So we get to Mexico. We have a wonderful week. It's time for us to leave. We start walking out to the plane. They have us walking across the tarmac. I look up. There's no way there are 50 seats on that plane. I'm looking around. There aren't 50 people behind me. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. This is really small. So I look at Alan, and his eyes are big, and he's thinking, oh, no. I got patient schedule tomorrow what am I going to do she's going to cancel she's going to freak out we're going to how am I going to go you know he's doing this whole thing <laughs> am I going to get I a just, car and drive back to I just Denver looked at tomorrow? him and I said you got the kids and I'm thinking so what's the worst what's the worst thing here what's the absolute worst I'm like oh my fear I am I am really scared I said okay so what would I rather have okay I'd rather have faith in God that's what I thought that's the flip side of that. My most negative thought was I'm afraid. And my most pod, the thing I would really like to have is faith in God. Okay. So I said, okay, my faith in God is greater than my fear. That's going to be my thought when I get on this plane. I said, Alan, take the kids. I got on the plane. I'm sitting next to this little tiny Vietnamese woman. The flight attendant has to stand sideways to get up and down the aisle because <laughs> it's too small. And I just sat down, put my hands in my lap, and I just started saying to myself, my faith in God is greater than my fear. <sighs> my faith in God is greater than my fear. My faith in God is greater than my fear. I said it the whole way from Mexico here. The plane lands, and I got off. I was so incredibly high, and I just looked at Alan. I said, <laughs> oh, my God, that was great. I think little planes are so much better than the big planes. And he just started laughing, and I said, what are you laughing for? And he said, well, there was at one point that the plane, like, was banked almost upside down, making oh. a turn. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, when he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to have a stroke. <laughs> and I looked over at you, and your eyes were closed. I could just see your lips moving. And he, and he said, I can't believe that you're saying. But that's what I got. I got my faith in God is greater than my fear. So I took my fear, and I asked for help. I asked for guidance. How can I transform this? What do I want instead of this? And that's become a guiding teaching for me. My faith in God is greater than my fear. And that's, that's what's true. I don't know. I make up all kinds of things about what my life should be or what my children's life should be or what the world should be like. And my faith in God is greater than my fear. And when my fear begins to get bigger than my faith, I ask for help. I ask my ancestors for help. I ask your mom for help. I have a rock on my meditation table from her. I put my hand on it, and I call in those who I love, who love me, and say, I need your help today. I need help. I, I'm not sure how to do today. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I get it, and I get it. I'll see a heart as I'm walking out the door. I'll get out of my car, and I'll see a heart in the street. And I'll, there'll be a sign. It's okay. Yeah. Kind of this, I guess I tell myself, maybe it's not even telling myself, but something that I've found also in my meditation practice is this awareness that everything is okay. 
You know, it's not. I mean, there's so many reasons I can point to that everything is absolutely not okay. At any given time, there are billions of things that are not okay. And yet, somehow, if I get quiet and I just can feel that I'm alive and, you know, I'm safe and I'm loved Mm -hmm. and then everything is okay. Mm -hmm. In this moment, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Yeah. And I can make up stories about the past or about the future. And if I can be present right now. Yeah, it's okay. This I breath is this. just divine. This is perfect. I think a, a big shift in my life, too, has been recognizing, well, I talked to you when I got back from Mexico, and I had imagined that this experience in Mexico would open up the doors to the next opportunity in my life, and it would be sort of this big, vibrant thing that I had worked so hard to get, and then it was just going to... The red carpet was going to kind of roll out in front of me. And that experience in sort of a surprisingly profound and brutal way for me was an awakening of just because you worked hard, just because you had an idea about this thing doesn't mean it's going to go that way. And so for a while, I think that the story in my mind was, oh, yeah, everything can go wrong. You know, your mom can be healthy her whole life and then she can get sick and lose everything. You can work really hard for this opportunity and then you can get there and it can be so hard on you and not open up the opportunities that you thought it was going to. And I think the new shift has been to see that, yeah, of, of course, things are going to go differently than you anticipate a lot of the times. And a lot of times it's not going to be what you hoped for sometimes in small ways and sometimes in the absolute biggest, most earth-shattering ways. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how you sort of make sense of those big earth-shattering challenges that nobody would wish for and we would give everything in our power to change, and yet here they are. You know, the truth is, I don't make sense out of it. Mm-hmm. It breaks my heart, you know. And um, I just say I don't know. I really don't know. I surrender. I have no clue. And my faith is greater than my fear. Mm-hmm. I do have faith that there's that there's wisdom. That there's that there's a reason. I don't know. I don't know. I can make up all kinds of stories. Right. Um, and I often have, you know, my own version is, if only I, and I should have, and I could have. And right. That's not true. I don't know. I don't know. And sometimes I think it's just, the work is just to be present with the heartbreak. The work is to be sitting with your mom, and I can't understand her. And she recognizes that, and we just <laughs> sit together and just like... <laughs> Sometimes we laugh and sometimes oh, we this cry. Isn't what we planned for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's literally WTF. I mean, yeah. Rib Zalman used to say you can't have faith in God unless you've taken time to be angry at God. And yeah, sometimes it's going out and throwing rocks and saying, I don't like this. I'm angry. This should not have happened to her. There's something that is so, I guess it's something that clicks in my head or something that lights up in my heart when I hear something that's like, oh, that is 
so true and so honest and I think of course I want to make sense of what happens in our lives Mm -hmm. and when there's pain that you can't heal and when there's something broken that you can't fix I think our minds do like to look for patterns or look for what we could have done differently or try and make sense of it in that way. And when you say sometimes you just got to be angry and feel exactly what you feel and be present with the whole human experience. Yeah. It's not, I don't know. It's not like helpful in a practical sense, but it certainly is helpful in a way of, course you you live your life mm-hmm. and you feel the way that you feel mm-hmm. and you're honest about it I also think you you share it you share it with the people that you love you know there's a saying in uh, couples counseling what can be shared can be bared mm-hmm. so even though we can't fix it we don't understand I I can be present with your suffering and I can say I'm I'm here I love you I love you deeply and I'm so sorry that this is happening or that Mm -hmm. this happened and that alone that presence that willingness to be present with somebody else's suffering first of all the fact that you've had your own suffering I feel like that I've had my suffering enables um, comfort is not the right word but the ability to be in those moments with other people Mm -hmm. and not need to fix them let me, let me make you feel better. Right. No, actually, that's, that's that not a possibility. That doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, though. But I can be with you. Right. I think there's also a piece in realizing that even when this unimaginable, unimaginable earth-shattering thing happens, that somehow my life is still really good right. and really bright. And so to be able to be with somebody else in – unimaginable tragedies or losses and realize like your life also can be good not in a way of of trying to be comforting but just to recognize that for them and hold that hope for another person too it's a lot more complex than this bad thing happened to you and now your life sucks it's this really sucks and there's a lot more happening at the same time right this really sucks and life is beautiful Mm -hmm. and there's so much to be grateful for I would love to hear, too, of things that are really adding a lot of light to your life right now and bringing mm. you joy. Well, one thing that brightens my day every day is living in Colorado. I love the fact that I can look up. I remember the year after my mom died. That one thing that I could get be grateful for every single day was our incredible sky. Mm-hmm. I could say, oh, my God, look at those clouds. Oh, my God, it's so blue. And that is something every day is you know, I'm delighted by, and I'm also delighted by just being able to, to see birds and, and aspen trees and, and be with the animals that we love. We have a, a three-legged cat. Have you met our three-legged I cat? I haven't. I've seen pictures and videos. Oh She's adorable. She is like this little <laughs> spark of light. Yesterday, I came down, and she was on the kitchen counter, and I was like, first of all, she only has two working front legs and a back leg that has... Um, steel in it so it doesn't bend so you can't like jump so I have no idea how she made it up onto the kitchen counter but I was like amazing what 
what are you doing on that kitchen counter? Sonia told me the same thing of like she was up on the bookshelf and Sonia was trying to figure out like the yeah. physics of how There's the no heck way. did you throw There's yourself no up there? And she's just this little, she's just this beacon of love and joy and yeah. she's so soft and she knows nothing of her limitations. Yeah. I watched her last night crawl over Rosie's back to get into the middle of her stomach and curl up and I thought, ah, oh, God, it's just, she's just delightful. And Rosie is your very big very energetic big dog. dog yeah yeah and that little <laughs> kitten in the morning i'll put my face next to her and she'll just roll her face around me and just roll anyway, it's just and Sweet. i am very grateful to get to have people like you in my life i love you dearly i, I love you dearly. i love you from the very first moment of your life <laughs> and and i'm really excited about watching you enjoy your full and beautiful authentic life thank you you're doing a great job. Love you. I love you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Open Exploration Podcast. If you like what you heard, share it with a friend or casually bring it up in conversation with a friendly stranger. However you get the word out, it means the world to us. You can also donate at our website, openexploration.org. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, or if you or someone you know would like to share your story, send an email to lily at openexploration.org. That's L-I-L-Y, just like the flower, at openexploration.org. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Open Exploration Podcast. This show is produced by me, Lily Worthen. The voices that you'll hear at the very end are my four and five-year-old nephew and nieces. Thank you to Poddington Bear, John Siv, and the other unlisted artists for freely sharing your music that brings this podcast to life. To all of you listening, thank you, love to you all, and until next time, happy exploring. <laughs>